Hello, everyone. I'm so excited about this week on Anti Culture as I'm really proud to introduce another episode of the show that's highlighting Black history here in the province of Alberta. If you missed it last year, I did a full episode about our province's Black history, and today we're diving deep again in honor of Black History Month with award winning author, documentary film director, screenwriter, and playwright Cheryl Fogo. Cheryl's name has been brought forward to me many times, and after uncovering our mutual connections and learning about her heritage in Canada's Black settlements of Amber Valley and Maidstone, both of which I mentioned in the episode last year, it was my honor to get to chat with her today. For those that are unfamiliar with Canada's or Alberta's Black history, you are in for a treat. Cheryl is a wealth of knowledge, and her documentary, John Ware Reclaims, will be available for streaming on the National Film Board of Canada on February 8th at nfb.ca, which is just a few days away, and I'm sure you're going to want to check it out after listening to my chat with her. Cheryl's latest move by releasing this documentary is monumental. Her vision of covering the story of John Ware, who is one of Alberta's black settlers, best known for introducing Longhorn cattle to the province and also being an award-winning cowboy, serves as a crucial piece in claiming and documenting this side of history for our province and our nation. A lot of Albertans would not know that we carry such a rich Black heritage in the settlement of our culture and in our province, but this is our opportunity to explore it further. NFB's blurb on the piece states that this documentary follows Fogo on her quest to re-examine the mythology surrounding John Ware, the Black cowboy who was settled in Alberta, Canada before the turn of the 20th century. Fogo's research uncovers who this iconic figure might have been and what his legacy means in terms of anti-Black racism, both past and present. We're lucky to have people like her to carry the torch, not only documenting Black history in our province and country, but also making it. Before we dive in, I wanted to mention that Anti-Culture is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. You can find shows like Anti-Culture at albertapodcastnetwork.com, including one of my favorite shows on the network, Creative Block with Kyle Marshall, the owner of Media Lab YYC. This is an excellent show with an array of fascinating interviews worth checking out. And in fact, you can check out my episode with Kyle on episode 46 to learn more about me and listen to our chat, which I really enjoyed. This episode is also brought to you by Park Power. In Alberta, you get to choose where you buy your energy from. If you switch retailers, nothing changes about the delivery of electricity or natural gas to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find the terms for leaving. And if you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. The choice is yours and there's a better deal available to you. And you can learn more about these guys at parkpower.ca. On the one hand, there's a lot of feelings of pride around that. But on the other hand, there are also feelings of disappointment when the kind of racism that people faced 110 years ago when they came here is still going on and I think there's also disappointment that this history is not better known. I think there are very complicated feelings around that connection to Alberta. If you've ever wondered if the provinces in Canada have black history, what it's like to be a black settler in a place like Alberta, and where these inspirational individuals are now, this interview is for you. It should also be worth mentioning that Fogo has been nominated for many awards in the past and her work expands across plays and books and now this documentary, John Ware Reclaimed. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here's our guest, Cheryl Fogo. 
My name is Cheryl Fogel. I'm a lifelong Calgarian. I am a descendant of Black pioneers who came to this part of the world in 1910. They are generally known as the Black Migration of 1910, which really actually took place over a few years at around that time. And those folks created five small Black settlements in northern Alberta and Saskatchewan. I am a descendant of the one Saskatchewan settlement, which was near Maidstone, and the other four communities were in Alberta. I am a writer, think of myself as a writer, but I also do a lot of other kinds of work connected to that, including filmmaking, and I've done a little bit of theater producing as well. That's me in a nutshell. Perfect. Yeah. And thank you for mentioning a bit of your heritage. Last year, we did do an episode with Deborah Dobbins, who's another filmmaker here in Alberta, that traces her roots back to that settler history, the Black settler history in our province. And a lot of people were surprised to hear that Alberta has Black settlers. And you come from that lineage. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about that history in a brief nutshell before we dive more deeply into your projects and kind of what that all represents, because I think it's an important part of Canadian history that's often overlooked. I'm always amazed that more people don't know about this history because it's so interesting and it's so vital to our understanding of who we are as Albertans and as Canadians. These people were mostly from Oklahoma, although they were also from some other southern states. And they had gone to Oklahoma because Oklahoma was not a part of the U.S. of A. at that time. They were able to vote and own property and had a more full slate of human rights. But when the two territories that they were living in, the Western Territory and the Indian Territory, they were called at that time, prior to 1905, when they were merged to create the state of Oklahoma, my ancestors and their friends and other family members were brutalized horribly by a real upswing in the racism that they were experiencing. And so the Canadian government was advertising for people to come to Alberta and Saskatchewan at that time. They, of course, were not looking for black people to answer that invitation, but that's part of the group that came. And unfortunately, when they got to the border, they experienced pushback. Many of them did get through anyway because they, they were very well able to meet the criteria that the Canadian government had set for those farmers. So they came up and most of them stayed here, established homesteads and farms. Some went to the cities, the bigger cities. And that's, that's just a very brief introduction to that fascinating history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's very interesting. What I learned even from talking to Deborah last year was that there's such a rich history in those communities that you mentioned before with the settlers that came up here. And it's almost developed their own sense of culture. And I think a lot of people are prone to putting any kind of African diaspora in North America all into one box. 
But I do think that Alberta's Black family history and heritage has a very unique culture to it. And maybe you can speak a little bit to that and the shared experiences that were had. Yeah, I would say I I would agree with you. And I would also like to say that one thing I learned through my research is that we were not the first wave of Black immigration to come here. So I used to believe that that group, that largish group, when I say largish, you know, the estimates are anywhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people. I used to believe that was the first wave of Black immigration here, and in fact, it wasn't. There were Black people here already in relatively sizable numbers when you compare it to the overall population. And the more I peeled back the layers in Black history in Alberta, the more I discovered that there were Black people here from long before Alberta becoming a province. So when we talk about the culture, the Black cultures that were here, we really do have to think of them as cultures because there were a number of different waves of groups of people who came. And we share similar experiences, unfortunately, often connected to experiences of racism that each of those waves has experienced. Uh, We also share other elements of African culture, like music is one that is, is a really big unifying element to the different Black cultures that are here. And even though that music is expressed in different ways, it is something that we share I know Deborah Dobbins as well and, you know, know her family. And most of us who are descendants of that community at least know of each other's families if we don't know each other personally. The communities were really distinguished by an incredible sense of kinship and looking out for one another. So even though there were the four Black communities in northern Alberta and the one in Saskatchewan, that Alberta-Saskatchewan border didn't really mean anything to the people who had formed these settlements. They considered themselves one large community and family. So there was a great deal of traveling back and forth across that border. There was a great deal of interaction between the four communities in Alberta. And there was also lots of back and forth across the 49th parallel because many people had left friends and family behind. And there were some people who actually returned to the States and other people whose family members from the States came up later. So it was a community that was spread across quite a large geographical area, but it was still a community. Those folks also made connections with the Black people who were already here. So a little bit later, I'm sure we're going to talk about John Ware. And John Ware's children were, of course, very well-established Albertans already before my family and this migration came. And our community was very closely connected to the Ware children, not John Ware himself, because he died in 1905, but the Ware children were elders in my community when I was a youngster growing up. 
and had very close connections to our community. And the Ware children were part of a Black community that was here when their parents came. Right, before that, yeah. That's right. You know, going back to the 1800s, to the late 1800s, there were already Black people here for them to become community with. So when we talk about the culture, I think it is a really evolving culture and and has sort of evolved through all those different waves of people. I think it's pretty apparent that you do identify as an Albertan, especially being born and raised here. And I'm curious what that concept means to you, especially having that rich heritage in our province. I think a lot of people would assume that maybe that heritage isn't part of your family lineage, and yet it is, and it's it's a historical one. Yes, I do identify as an Albertan strongly. I, I identify as a Calgarian strongly. I identify as a Canadian strongly because I have never lived anywhere else. I was born here and I am the descendant of multiple generations who were born here as well, Black people who were born here before me. So this is our only home. This is my only home. I don't have anywhere else to go back to. This is it. So my relationship with Alberta is very firmly rooted in this land and in this place. It's very closely connected to the Indigenous people who were stewards of this land before we came, because just like most other, I would say all other people who came to this part of the world in the last 150 years, we wouldn't have survived here if it wasn't for the support and help of the Indigenous people who were here. In particular, we formed incredibly strong relationships with the Indigenous people. And I often speak about this. I don't want people to take from what I'm saying that there was never any conflict because there was sometimes conflict because we were two histories that both had tragic roots. People of African descent did not originate in this part of the world, for the most part, voluntarily. My ancestors, going back many generations, were brought here against their will. And it, 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 there are many tragic elements to that history, as there are to the many tragic elements to the history of Indigenous people here, that when I say tragic elements to the history. I'm talking about the more recent history, the the settler history. So there were sometimes ways in which we were in conflict with each other or even pitted against each other, you could say. But for the most part, those relationships were very, very strong. There are many, many, many intermarriages and friendships among Black people here and the Indigenous people that were here. So that is a very important aspect of our history that is rarely talked about, is our interactions with the first people. And it's also rare to talk about our interactions with other racialized groups that came here, like the Chinese um, people that were here and our relationships with them going back to the 1800s and early 1900s. And would you say that 
your interactions with these people, I think that that might even be noted as a cultural mark that has been left in that heritage going back in history. Because I think that's that's a unique approach that isn't what's usually talked about or hasn't been the experience of a lot of people interacting with white settlers or people who also claim the Alberta heritage loud and proud, but might not have had those same connections with those external groups. Yes, I think it is a suppressed aspect of Alberta history that there was this parallel world going on. That's a great way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Parallel world of interactions between these groups of people that are really amazing. There are some really incredible stories connected to those interconnections between those different racialized groups. And those are just as significant elements of Alberta history as the European settler history, but they're very undertold stories. They are stories that I think people would find interesting. And I think people, when they learn about these stories, they feel a little ripped off that they have not had access to these stories. So just to sort of complete what I was saying about, you know, in answer to your question about my identity as an Albertan, it is complicated by the suppression of those stories, right? I grew up in what was mostly an immigrant community in Northwest Calgary. Actually, it was, you know, it was a part of Calgary that didn't become part of Calgary until, you know, partway through my childhood. So it was its own separate little town. It was an immigrant community for the most part. Most of my friends were first-generation Canadians. So I was aware that I had a history that was much older and deeper than most of the kids of European heritage in my schools and in my community. And yet I did not see my history reflected in school or in the books that I was reading. So at the time I didn't have words to express it, but looking back now, it makes me feel frustrated, sometimes angry, but certainly deeply regretful that my history as an Albertan, my identity with this province walked alongside that knowledge that we were not in the history books. Right. Wow. Yeah. What a profound feeling that must have been. And is that kind of when you started having your roots as being a storyteller and a playwright and a writer? How did that all come about? Was that just in this need to have to express that story, those untold stories? I would say yes. I was an avid reader and I did not have access to stories written by people of African descent until I was in my late teens to early 20s. Those books just were not available to me in school or in the library or anything. I know that those books existed, but they didn't exist here. I didn't have access to them. And so when I decided that I was going to pursue my dream of being a writer, which I'd had from a very young age, I knew that this was a story that I would want to tell because it was an important story. It was important to me. I knew it was interesting, but there was also a great big hole where our stories should have been that I wanted to 
play my role in telling. So I would say you're right that my becoming a writer and the kinds of writing that I do is very much connected to my identity as an Albertan of African descent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. And I think that it's, it's needed. And I think the more that people discover that history and these stories, the more inspiring and united we all become as Albertans. And I'm very excited that you made a film about John Ware. That was one of the first legacies I read about from Alberta's Black history. And I do want to ask you how, you know, what started as a play became this documentary and why John Ware? Why is he important to our history? In 2012, the Calgary Stampede was celebrating its 100th anniversary. And Tundi Duwadu, who was at that time the artistic director of Africa Day, knew that I had an interest in John Ware and had been collecting research about him. And he suggested that we wouldn't want to see that celebration, that year-long celebration of cowboy culture, pass by without acknowledging John Ware. And I agreed that, yes, it was time for me to take all the research I'd been collecting about John Ware and put it to work. So I created a, a presentation in 2012 that I called John Ware Reimagined. And at that time, it was you know, I had some slides and I, I was doing a kind of a lecture and I hired two actors, Jesse Lipscomb and Janelle Cooper, to play John and Mildred Ware in some scenes that I had written, some theatrical scenes. And I hired my daughter, Miranda Martini, who was a songwriter, to write a couple of songs for John and Mildred. And uh, did that presentation several times and it was so positively received that a lot of people were saying to me, can you turn this into something more, something you know that, that more people can see? So I started working on a play which has the same name, John Ware Reimagined, and that was first produced in Calgary in 2014 and then produced again in Edmonton at Workshop West Theatre in 2017. When... You ask the question, why is John Ware important to our history? Especially in Southern Alberta, agricultural and cowboy history is very celebrated. And it's very much connected to how this part of the world evolved after Europeans came here. That cowboy history, that sort of Western heritage is very ingrained with how we think of ourselves here. So if you understand that a cowboy of African descent held a leadership role in the development of that culture here, you understand that people of African descent played a very important part in our identity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you cannot separate Southern Alberta and, and sort of Western and cowboy history from Africa, because John Ware was so central to the development of that identity. And it wasn't just John Ware. There were other black cowboys in his time that were here before, during, and after his time in the 1800s. He's the one that we remember best but there were others here as well. 
that Western and sort of cowboy culture was also a part of my ancestral heritage because many of those folks were, as I say in the film, were horse riding, cowboy boot wearing country people too. So if our identity as people of the land and of agriculture and horses matters, it also matters that that identity was shaped in part by John Ware and by other African-American cowboys. Long and short of it is, I think John Ware should be better known by all Canadians. When I first learned about John Ware, I just remember feeling so excited that that is a part of our history and that there's a rich Black history here, because I think that that is something that we ought to be proud of and something that is exciting about what makes this place what it is. And I'm an Albertan too. I was born and raised here as well. And I think that unfortunately there is our, you know, our stereotypes and our reputation of not being the most racially accepting province. And I was excited to hear about John Ware because it's almost like a, you know, you can't (laughs) have that approach and that pride in your identity if it's just white pride and if it's just white identity that you're celebrating because that's not the truth of the story. And I think there's an opportunity here to bridge that gap. How did we end up with a historical narrative that leaves out Black people and other racialized groups? I think that is a question that has its roots more than 100 years ago when people were designing schools and and formal and public education. Why did this part of our history get suppressed? I don't know. I think it has its roots in colonialism. I certainly think it has roots in racism. And it has roots in a kind of power structure. So you and I actually are not the right people to be asked that question because it wasn't our choices, right? I mean, if I had my way, the work that I've been doing for 30 years would be better known and it would be in the schools, but it isn't. And it isn't because I haven't tried and it isn't because there haven't been several waves of people who have made requests, signed petitions, gathered names, made phone calls, asking to have Black history included in the curriculum. And yeah, the the most recent petition, that's the fifth campaign that I'm aware of just in my lifetime, fifth major campaign to have Black history incorporated into our curriculum. So I think that is a question that your podcast listeners can ask themselves and can ask the politicians is, is why why didn't I grow up knowing this history? Because of course, I mean, it's a cliche to say it, I am not the first person to say it, but black history is just history. I would say there's a lot of pride there in what we've done in this part of the world. 
because there are so, so many outstanding Albertans and Canadians who have made us proud on the local, on the provincial, on the the Western, on the Canadian, on the international stages in many, many different ways. There are many success stories that our people descended from that migration of 1910. I could go on and on and on naming people and their accomplishments. So on the one hand, there's a lot of feelings of pride around that. But on the other hand, there are also feelings of disappointment when the kind of racism that people faced 110 years ago when they came here is still going on. And I think there's also disappointment that this history is not better known. I think there's there are very complicated feelings around that connection to Alberta for those reasons that I just listed. I will be promoting your film being released on nfb.ca on February 8th. That is kind of the culmination of the John Ware research that you've done in its newest format. And I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that and what you've learned. And I think one of the important things that you're addressing in this piece is what's true and what's not about John Ware and also who he is. And for a lot of people listening that don't know who he is, what I've read and kind of how I was introduced to him was his reputation as being the man that introduced Longhorn cattle into the province. And I, I wanted to fact check that with you and also offer you an opportunity to talk about the project a bit more. Many aspects of John Ware's life are mysterious and we can't know as much about him as we would like to because often the life of a person of African descent in North America is hidden under a mountain of lack of record keeping based on his having been enslaved. So many people who were enslaved didn't have their names recorded or didn't have their birth name recorded or there's a lot of mystery connected to John Ware because of the, the tragic loss of records that should have been kept. People who weren't even mentioned by name on censuses and that kind of thing. We didn't count and therefore a lot of the information isn't there. In terms of introducing Longhorn cattle to Southern Alberta, he was one of the people, I wouldn't say that he was the the man who did that because he came up here on the first major cattle drive into this part of the world, but he was not the leader or foreman on that cattle drive. He was one of the cowboys So certainly he was among the group that introduced Longhorn cattle to Southern Alberta. He has many other claims to fame. He won the first Calgary exhibition. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the Calgary exhibition was the precursor to the Calgary Stampede. So unfortunately, the Calgary Stampede started after John Ware's death. But the exhibition of cowboy skills that led to the Stampede existing was something that John Ware did participate in and he won the very first one that's one of his many claims to to fame he was a very skilled cowboy and he was a really skilled rancher he was a very savvy business person and 
had an incredible personality. He was a very exciting man. I love that. And what can we expect when we watch this documentary? One thing that people should know is that it is not just the story of John Ware. It's the story of my journey with John Ware as well. So that's something I always like people to know because, you know, that might catch people off guard if they say, oh, this is a story about Cheryl Fogo and John Ware. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, yeah, it is a a three-part story. Originally, I called it Seeker, Sought, and Search. I didn't call it that, but that's how I thought of it because it's it's about me as a seeker. It's about John Ware as the sought, and it is also about the search itself. And it is my attempt to find out where he came from and to resolve other mysteries connected to his life and to reclaim the way his story has been told and some of the harmful narratives that I feel are out there about John Ware. So it does a lot of different things and I use a lot of different methods. I'd really be, I'd love to come back and talk with you sometime just about on my artistic choices and my choices as a filmmaker, you know, the different elements that I chose to tell the story. I used narration, I used a lot of music, I used animation. What else? I mean, there are a lot of different artistic elements in there. I'm really looking forward to watching it. And if things go to plan, I'm I'm hoping that this will be a released episode just a few days before it is available to everyone. So I'd love to do a follow up and hear more about it after I've watched it. I'm really excited. That would be wonderful. Awesome. Well, just to wrap things up, I did want to give you an opportunity. I think a lot of people will probably leave this interview and if they haven't heard of any of this before, I mean, obviously, hopefully they'll watch the documentary, but then I'm wondering if you can maybe point us in the direction of some resources that we as everyday Albertans can look to, to learn about some of this hidden history and to find out more about some of the things you touched on today. Oh, sure. There's a terrific book called The Black Prairie Archives and Anthology by a U of T professor named Karina Vernon. I highly recommend it. There are a couple of short films. Uh, There's Deborah Dobbins' film, of course, which is called We Are the Roots. There is another film called The Secret Life of Amber Valley. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also made a short film called Kicking Up a Fuss, the Charles Daniels story, which I recommend as well for another very important Calgary Black history story that's very little known. There's my book, of course, Pouring Down Rain, A Black Woman Claims Her Place in the Canadian West. There is a book called A Keystone Legacy, which was written by a wonderful woman who is a part of the the Black migration of 1910. Her name is Gwen Hooks. That book is hard to get hold of, but it's a really terrific book. There is a museum in Breton, Alberta, that I can highly recommend people to take a little road trip to learn more about this. Those are some of the the resources. Um, There are more resources coming out all the time. So yeah, those are just a few. There are others, but yeah, I can't go on forever. Yeah, great place to get started. I really appreciate it, um, Cheryl. And 
yeah, this was so enjoyable to me and I'm really looking forward to uh, releasing it and, and watching the documentary as well. Well, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you, Josiah, and I really appreciate this work that you're doing. Good for you. I, I'm just, I'm proud of you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining Cheryl and I for this very special episode of the Anticulture Podcast. You can join the conversation with us. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Josiah Podcast. And if you'd like to support the show, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash Josiah Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Sinanin. And if you want to learn more about Alberta's Black history, you can reference any of the resources that Cheryl mentioned, but you can also check out our bonus episode from last season at josiahpodcast.com. You can also check out Cheryl's documentary on nfb.ca on February 8th. I would highly recommend marking your calendar for this event. If you want to follow along with Cheryl and learn more about her, you can follow her on Twitter at cdfogo, that's C-D-F-O-G-G-O. I also wanted to mention that Anticulture was recorded and edited with the help of We Edit Podcasts at their studio here in Calgary. Check them out at weeditpodcasts.com. And lastly, if you enjoyed the show, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and spreading the word. You can learn more about our show and listen to all the episodes free at josiahpodcast.com. Even mentioning this episode by word of mouth to someone helps the show out a lot. Stay tuned for more coming for you. But for now, thank you so much for making this show what it is. And I'm looking forward to more episodes in the future. Until next time, all my best.